1: Hello, everybody. It's just after eight o'clock here in the UK. I've no clue what time it is where any of you are because so many people's clocks have changed, and quite a lot of uh, that's clocks. just
2: not true.
1: Well, it's quite a lot of people's clocks have changed.
2: Only in two countries.
1: America. That's quite a lot of people. Yeah. And where else? Canada. Right. So North America. Most of North America have changed their clocks. We change our clocks here in the UK and in Europe. Uh, this weekend, which means we have even less sleep. That's the
2: rest of the Northern Hemisphere. All right, okay. Uh,
1: and that was Tim Great up in London. Good evening, Tim.
2: Good evening, John.
1: And good evening to the listener. Uh, yes, this good evening, is listener. Midweek Motorsport uh, Series 14, not episode not 15, as it says on our chat. episode, twel- episode 12. It is episode 12. That is quite correct. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh,
2: we have a packed programme with lots of interviews. Right. Uh, plus our usual features and uh, some other things.
1: We are chock full with guests tonight. Yes.
2: Yeah. So if... Some you... people... You'll hear some voices tonight that uh, you won't have heard for a while and you'll... Yeah. Well, you miss some voices that you've heard a lot of recently.
1: That's, okay, that seems reasonable. Um, let me trail ahead a little bit. Uh, towards Towards the end... Uh, well, tomorrow, yes, definitely. That's us trail ahead. This time tomorrow, Tora Radio Show. All things virtual racing. And they've got some big news. And it's another big show for the Tora uh, guys. So tune in tomorrow, one 8 six two o'clock.
2: One of this week that they have. Yes, there's one
1: on Friday as well, is there?
2: The British GT special is on right.
1: Friday. British GT special on Friday. And the to- the normal Tora Radio Show tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on RS1. Um, we're going to get uh, Krilzy up later on tonight once he gets up because it's already tomorrow where he is don't get me started on that uh, we have hopefully if he turns up got Johnny Palmer he's on route to hide Off Towers at the moment he'll be there in an hour also. Uh half an hour he said uh, no, we have half got... an
2: hour is what Eve said All right. which means that that's what he told her
1: right we've got Joe Bradley hello everyone no time for anything else other than that from him we have Shea Adam. Good evening, Shea. Good evening, John. And we have Jeremy Shaw. Good evening, Jeremy.
3: Well, 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 here I am.
1: Yes, you are. And I can hear you. That's great. So all of the people are there, which means I'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Hello to Andy Garrett, who is saving the podcast for driving the Silverstone to Marshall, the MG Car Club. Cliff Norris is uh, on, on the way to... Uh, his local Porsche dealer for the 992 launch and he was at Wolverhampton on Monday with his mates who got Richard Atwood to sign the uh, what would you call that is it still a bonnet I suppose the front bit anyway of his uh, very nice uh, lava orange that looks like hello Cliff uh, hello to right turn lover and Sarah Rigby who I hope is home tonight because we've got some Aston Martin Dave King and the man at the head of Aston Martin Racing will be joining us in this first hour. Our big interview is Vincent Voss from WRT. Spoke to him uh, last week in Belgium and he'll be on just after nine o'clock tonight. Rob Jana, apologies for tonight's show, listening uh, on on the drive to Silverstone as well. He's marshalling at the MG Car Club, Clark Car Club meeting as well. Wow. Uh, all good stuff. Rob Chalmers is listening live. Now that he's finally got power and Wi-Fi back in his house, five days after a pipe burst had turned my hall into a river, still no lighting, though. Rob, our thoughts are with you. Good luck with getting that sorted out. Mike Sargent has his afternoon coffee sorted out, listening uh, and excited to hear what we thought about the IndyCar Classic. You won't have to wait too long for that. Nick Holland, very excited because he's seen A DBX, that's the Aston Martin SUV prototype for the first time. And Simon Davison's listening live, preparing for a massive interview tomorrow morning. Good luck for that, Simon. Uh, Also, Chris Humphreys is tuning in tonight. I bet he's marshalling at the weekend as well. Uh, As well as Claire Smith, who's listening tonight. Uh, Cliff's just sent me a picture of very nice bright yellow 992. So Yoda's uncle as well is in tonight on parade, waiting. Simon Hoff, house move, keeping him busy. So plenty of people in tonight. Still prepping for June, says Piston Ring. New flag pole tested and flags raised for Le Mans. Good stuff. Uh, no uh, no EFAs tonight for Chris Suku. Early pizza with friends back in time for the show. Re-prepping for Le Mans, as is Ian McCarthy listening in as well all good stuff it's breakfast time for him and from the cube it's Moni Elysium listening in as well as Juan Carlo who says good afternoon from the land of the maple syrup and caribou super different to be listening to you at 1300 and not at midnight okay so you've changed time zones Juan Carlo okay that's enough of the parish notices let's get cracking for our top story
0: World's longest running motorsport magazine show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One. Sports car. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: You played the correct angle.
1: Yeah, that. Well, you could have let that run. I was quite happy. Fade the bed down because I can barely hear you. Thank you. Where do you want to start? I think I know where you want to start because you asked me to get Shane and Jeremy up. So clearly you want to start with IndyCar. Is that right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Great. Uh, and uh, the IndyCar Classic. Um, an old name for something which is happening for the very first yes. time.
1: No, but... It, uh, i I'll tell you what. I'm not the only one to think that. No, indeed not. Indeed not. Uh, we've got Jeremy and shares. as we... Uh, it, we introduced them early on in the show a, a, a couple of we've got a, a few talking points here the first one we've got to start with is colton Herter winning the race jeremy Shaw, I start with you first holton curter as i called him in my befuddled state <laughs> um that i had bring a couple of weeks ago now well first of all all the rookies did brilliantly well but that is a tremendous run and a great win for Colton Herter. But let's let him enjoy it. a few people saying he's the next great thing. He might well be. He's certainly got... But let's just let him enjoy it, I would say. He did a good job on Sunday.
3: Yeah, he certainly did. And, and yeah, but he's he's been... Ever since he first hopped into an IndyCar, he's been he's been pretty close to the pace. You remember the test he did prior to uh, Sonoma Raceway last year. Then had, had a good race at Sonoma. He was overshadowed there a bit by... by uh, patricio award but still did very very well he's been quick in all the tests prior to this season so you know it, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise i suppose i mean he really has stepped up to the plate this year
1: uh and she as he did at daytona celebrated with tackles apparently
4: <laughs> the tradition with his dad continues yeah uh, i really liked how He and Brian went out for their tacos afterwards. They looked really good, I have to say. And if you're going to go for tacos someplace, Austin is a good Good option. Really liked the publicity that Circuit of the Americas did immediately following the race. They changed their Twitter name to Colton of the Americas. But it wasn't just an easy cruising weekend for Colton because he missed all of the second free practice session due to engine issues from the first practice session. And that, again... Was Honda Power facing some difficulty? Now they say they're aware of what this situation is, what the problem is, but it's just not terribly confidence-inspiring when they were saying that going into the weekend. And then the guy who ultimately won the race wound up having to have an engine change. So it's um, it's something that Honda will be looking more into for sure.
1: Jeremy, uh, for the first time, in, I think four years, an all-American podium in IndyCar. Does that say something about where the series is going?
3: Yeah, five of the top six, too. Um, I don't know. I think it shows that there is a, a, yeah, strength in in North American racing, that's for sure, because yeah, it's a pretty pretty good quality field here from some drivers you know, all, the way, all the way around the world. So, um, you know, it, it the, the chips happened to fall the, the, their way this time. But, uh, you yeah, know, most of them were fast. I mean, Marco Andretti... He ended up in top six as well. He was a, he was a bit fortunate to do that, probably, but he has been quick. He was quick at various stages through the weekend. So uh, I think it certainly bodes well for for North America and the sport in general over here to, to have so many so many americans running so so strongly
1: do you think that contributed to having a crowd there because when we've been there for sports cars it's been difficult to draw a crowd i I would dare say there was more people there for the 24 hour race that i raced in than was ever at the wec or or the imsa races mind that was because we had an open paddock and everybody was just hanging around but it wasn't a formula
3: one crowd it wasn't a moto gp crowd but there was a crowd there jeremy yeah, it wasn't bad was it i I, I was pleasantly surprised I must say um, I, I thought yeah I mean the the problem with that place is it's so huge that even even a respectable crowd looks kind of dwarfed in there but there was great there was a really good atmosphere I, I went across to the to the fan zone for a couple of the autograph sessions or just to sort of look at those or, or oversee them and, and have a look around at various different times and you yeah, know the, there's a lot of enthusiasm there it was good I, I was I tell you what though I was a bit saddened to see that Fans had to pay extra to get into the paddock. I thought that was very unnecessary um and a bit disappointing That's, but it didn't bad. seem to affect too many people yeah the problem with that place is it's a heck of a hike around to the paddock from from where the fan zone is and where the Correct. you know the main spectator areas are so perhaps it wasn't that big of an issue but certainly i i thought uh hey you know what are they trying to do here emulate formula one is that the right way to go uh, certainly not in my opinion but it, it was a good crowd and, and and there was tremendous enthusiasm there
5: um
1: Should it still have been Will Power's race, but for a broken drive shaft, half shaft?
4: Um, There was a quote after the race by Alexander Rossi saying Will Power and I were in a league of our own. For the first three quarters of the race, they certainly were able to maintain a gap to the rest of the field. They were driving the wheels off of both of their cars. They both got caught out by the caution, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, um, (laughs) the reasoning behind the caution. But... It was one of those things that the service was done on Powers' car. He was going to get back out ahead of Alex Rossi before they were going to go back to green. You look at what Rossi was able to do on the restart. I mean, he drove back up, I think, to was sixth off the top of my head um, after restarting at the back of the field. Clearly, those two were in a different level. But... They didn't play the caution game right, so ultimately the congratulations goes to Colton. I would say, hands down, though, the best driver on the track that weekend was Will Power.
1: Yeah, a primary shaft, Box primary shaft, apparently, was what uh, what gave up on him. Uh, the podium, as we said, three uh, Americans on the podium. A bit of a, um, a foobar on who got what because Colton's not old enough to have champagne, so there was grape juice bottle <laughs> for that. But apparently, shit, that went to. Joseph Newgarden, which he wasn't too pleased about. And,
4: and did you see the picture where all of a sudden Joseph realizes that Colton has the real champagne? And it's this great look on Joseph's face, like, <laughs> wait a minute, as Colton is chugging it down. It's just classic. Um, bit
1: of a worry for a couple of Honda runners, Jeremy, with their engine problems at the weekend.
3: Uh, yeah there was the, the blow up for, for uh, Colton certainly in a practice session but look at look at the race results there was only one DNF out of 24 cars and that was willpower's uh, uh, primary shaft failure so you know yes there is a concern because they had what th- was it three failures at least at St. Uh, at Petersburg but uh, just the one here I don't know the details how much uh, mileage there was on that particular engine uh, so, but um, certainly it's 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 a a concern but not a major problem because every, all the other hondas finished and most of them ran, you know ran, ran pretty strong so yeah you know, so we were, don't think they turned six... the hondas down or anything like that well no uh, i don't um so uh, the, i mean there were six of them in the, in the top uh, seven uh the only interloper there was joseph newgarden so i don't think it's too much for hondas to con- to be concerned about uh, just what Shea was talking about the strategy i mean that that wasn't a it was just that was the luck of the caution that the way that felt, you know, the way that same way that Sebastian Bourdais came from nowhere to fifth, um, and Marco, and and also the the you know, the reason why by Sebastian Bourdais won the last two years at Sebring uh, at St. Petersburg, excuse me. So, you know, that's just the, the luck of the the luck of the draw. I, I know I was talking to the, to the the Penske guys during the weekend, and they they were telling me that it was, it was a bit of a difficult decision whether to go for three stops. And, and try and save a bit of fuel, or go for four and run flat out. Um, I, I presume those two were saving fuel. I, to be honest, uh, I would, I'd, I'd left before the uh, the race was over, and I haven't had a chance yet to finish off watching it on TV. Oh, but I'm presuming like that they were they were stretching their their uh, their their fuel Correct. and they were kind of caught out by that. So yeah, that was sort of unfortunate for them. But that's really all it was. You know, unfortunate because they were very definitely those two, the class of the field.
1: Uh, Another red flag share in qualifying, which uh, didn't help out Sebastian Bordier and uh, Tony Canaan and Simon... Pa- I mean, Bordier came back to fifth, I think, but um, yeah. Canaan and, and Pagino still struggling in the early part of the season.
4: Very much so. And it was rare that Tony Canaan caused the red flag in the qualifying session, which dropped him back to the back of the pack. But again, another example of Pagino and Bordet, two weeks in a row, effectively... Mm-hmm trying to lay down a good lap right at the end of the session and getting caught out by a red flag. So that's something that IndyCar might want to look into to see if there's any way around it. But also the same could be said, why didn't they lay down their fast lap
3: before?
1: Well, I mean, that's so, it. You go out and get a banker lap exactly. in. I, I, that's, I
3: just, I that's just exactly right.
1: Yeah. You, you've uh, got I, to play at the I, rules, I, haven't you, Jeremy?
3: You do. I, I don't like the rules. I've talked about that before. No. I, I, I hate, I hate the way they split the field into two and it's kind of a lottery as to who's drawn where. Uh, although it, it is set on on practice times from early in the weekend, admittedly, but I still don't like it. I'd like to see all the cars out on track uh, together, uh, even though it's even though it be crowded, um, and then it's up to them to find a clear lap. But but Shay's absolutely right. You know those those teams, and talking to various teams over the weekend, um, you know they they don't agree with me uh, that the rules should be changed. Okay. Uh, and if people as Shea was was intimating, there if they want to wait uh, and and risk not going out early on, that's their that's their fault, yeah. uh, and that's fair enough. Uh, I think it wasn't quite as clear cut this this time as at uh, as at Saint Pete, where I think they had a bit more 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 clear running this night before the red came out a little <laughs> bit more, perhaps before the red came out, but not very much. So it's up to them. But yeah. the other, the other thing, particularly for Bourday is, and I was talking to his race engineer on uh, on sa- Saturday. He's he's struggling this season, Sebastian, to, just to get the get the most out of the car on a on a set of sticker red tires. Right. Don't really know why they don't really know why that is. Nor nor does Sebastian. It's certainly a bit mystifying to them and a bit frustrating. But uh, come the race time, he's a lot more competitive. But it is something that Sebastian himself needs to work on. talking about running to the rules which the
1: rules of qualifying, the rules of qualifying and you've you've got to go to it one rule was thrown away this weekend and it has split the fan base massively and that was track limits Uh, IndyCar decided not to enforce track limits pretty much anywhere around the circuit, it was most noticeable at the exit of turn 1 at the exit of turn 12 and of course at the exit of turn 19, the penultimate corner uh, yep. on on the track um uh, jeremy you were there um what was I, I mean obviously there was a lot of people getting called for early on in the day and uh, early on in the weekend and it was decided as imza decided with what was then the continental tie sports car championship when when they were last there that effectively track limits was the edge
3: of the circuit what was the feeling at the track mixed as you say I, I personally I think it looks ridiculous to see mm-hmm. cars running particularly to turn 19 is the worst place uh, on the track for that from my perspective and it, to me it just looks ridiculous mm. to to have cars running your way off there uh, and then just stopping just short of the gravel trap then coming back on again, most of the way down towards turn 20. I think it was absolutely silly. Uh, the MX-5 cup was exactly the same, but that was even more ridiculous because <laughs> those cars can run over the other curbs easily. The, the, there was some place on track, I think at 11, I think a little bit at 12 as well, where they raised the kind of um, the little little curbings on the exits yes. to try and dissuade the open-wheel cars to do that. And it did, for, to a large part, uh, eliminate much of that Certainly, in comparison to the MX5s, I mean, they were literally all over the place mm. and um, aesthetically horrible. Looks untidy, uh, and, and again, it looks untidy, does not it? Dreadful. It looks dreadful, looks absolutely dreadful. Yeah,
5: yeah.
1: And, and share one thing I would say was I mean, we ran contrary to many people's uh, thoughts before the race, we ran with only one full course yellow, and that was caused by an accident that was 15 20 yards off the track.
4: If there had been a wall there, both cars would have been into the wall, and the two. Been a wall there, there wouldn't have
1: been an accident.
4: Well, no, all four of the cars would have gone into the wall if there was a wall there. Is is my point. Um, Yeah, it was just reckless. There is a big bump right at the apex of turn 19. I was at Circuit of the Americas two weeks ago for Mm. Ferrari Challenge, and by the way, race control, even when they're not functioning, on a big weekend such as IndyCar. They've got cameras on every corner and multiple cameras. I'm talking three cameras, different angles, different viewpoints. They can enforce track limits. They chose not to. I respect them for that. That was their decision. But the fact of the matter is that James Hinchcliffe and Felix Rosenquist came together well off the track. And it resulted in Felix being speared across the track and then into the pit entrance effectively. It took six laps for IndyCar to get that uh, accident cleaned up and to get back to green. That's a large chunk of racing
1: that we lost. Uh, I've got a couple of things to say about this, but I want to bring Joe Bradley in because he actually likes it. I love it.
6: Why? I don't know. It takes me back to when I started racing. When I started racing, and Jeremy will remember this, your track limits were until you hit something or you upset the car to the extent that you lost it. Unless you got an advantage. Uh, if you, you know what, if the outside of the corner, you could keep momentum and you got more speed onto the corner. And if, if it was in the, the heat An and summer at a time or distance. Yeah. and um, You used it. You used every available bit of track and more. I, and I, and I loved the look. Yeah, of, we, I, I I'm completely, in contrary to what Jeremy uh, said, I loved the sight of those cars in that penultimate okay. turn. Just, just letting the car breathe and dance over the bumps. Beautiful. Uh, Tim Gray has uh, <laughs> something to add on this.
2: The worst one for me, Jeremy says uh, he thought turn 19 was worse. I think turn 12 was worst, And the reason for that is that when they set up the TV cameras, <laughs> <they> <laughs> He's the TV producer and Tim coming out. They were obviously doing it based on filming cars on the track. Correct. And yeah. when the cars were running wide to t- turn 12, it was clearly very uncomfortable for the cameraman on that camera to follow them off the track because they were not centre of frame at all and no. sometimes they just disappeared. Right,
1: I've got two things to add to this. The first from my own experience of racing at Quarter, which we did in a 24-hour race for Creventic, which is not a big series like IndyCar. Track limits were strictly enforced in that at... 19 at one at eight where you can gain a a real advantage if you go all four wheels onto the red to square up nine to get yourself straight before you go over the brow and they were strictly enforced there and at 12. now if they can do it anybody can do it one thing i will agree with is what brian till tweeted um which was don't blame the drivers because they'll take whatever advantage they're given and i completely agree with that um Turn 19 is a phenomenally challenging corner. And letting you run off the track there just negates the fact that it is a phenomenally challenging corner. In a GT car, you hook the sausage curb on the inside to get the car straight. Now, I accept you can't do that with an Indy car. That would be a big shunt. That would be a big (laughs) shunt. But the, the thing about it that you don't see on television, Jeremy... Um, is that the edge of that corner falls away so if you don't get your turn in absolutely right you fall off the track if you don't care about falling off the track you take a different turning point and you don't break as much and then you've got that ridiculous sight as, as, as Jeremy said and I have to say I agree with him of people having to find a way back on the track before the grass starts in the braking area to turn 20 which is which is a nonsense now that's that's my like a water trap
3: there
1: yeah <laughs> With piranhas, with piranhas, with piranhas in it. Piranhas, yeah. yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah,
1: that was oh, that was always Alan McNish's
6: <laughs> sharks thing. with laser beams. Sharks with laser beams. Yeah, the, the, but the the uh, the lake or whatever uh, Jeremy's just said the pond, yeah, you would be going to the edge of where you could and keeping the momentum of the car, which is my point. Exactly. Right. Here's here's the here's That's the second. Exactly right. Here's the second point, which
3: is let not. Let me just come back to that very quickly. I just say you remember when we were there for, when Imser and, and Weck were there two yes. or three years ago. Yes. Uh, uh Weck. In, said they were going to enforce it imsa said they weren't yeah um, I, I we, we you and I disagreed on that yeah uh, and um, and my perspective afterwards was that IMSA made the right call because they couldn't police it. They felt they couldn't. They it. they couldn't yeah. police it properly, so therefore let it go. Weck, in my opinion, uh, didn't police it properly. They, they, some people got penalised and others didn't. That's what I didn't like about it. Consistency this, in this day and age, as consistency, that's all I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, and in this day and age, with, with as good as a GPS tracking it on all of the cars nowadays, that really shouldn't be a problem to police. Um, and yeah, you know, I think Brand, don't don't Silverstone and Brands Hatch at, at Cops and and Paddock Hill don't they have have sensors uh, and also Graham Hillbend have sensors there, which triggers off in waste control. Yeah, when yes. so I mean that's it's not it's not
5: foolproof. I don't think.
2: No, but they do at Brands, Brands, Donnington Brands Hatch, Donington, Snetterton, yeah. and Alton Park all have them. Yeah,
3: okay, oh, okay, not at Cops. Okay, it, it can't um, be
1: beyond the wit of man for a series like IndyCar to police that. I just don't believe it. There's only 20 odd cars there, and you know, it, i I can't believe that a series of the standing of Creventic could do it with forty six cars. And you know, Ferrari challenge. Yeah, there's a lot it.
3: more respect so There's a lot more gentleman drivers and they're gonna respect the rules a bit more perhaps in Creventic than than, than in IndyCars.
1: Well isn't that the wrong way around though, Jeremy? Isn't that the wrong way around? Because you, you would That's expect the guys it, yes. you would ex you would expect the IndyCar would say to their guys, guys you've got the skills to be able to actually drive the track. Um Therefore, drive the track. The last word on this, I'm going to give to someone who isn't here tonight, but who, when he told me this, it was like a bolt from the blue. And it's Eduardo Freitas, who is the race director of the WEC. And notwithstanding what Jeremy, what Jeremy's just said about consistency, etc. Eduardo made a very good point about track limits, not just at Quarter but at other places. He says, what you've got to understand about why we enforce track limits is because the track is built with the understanding that people are going at racing speeds within the white lines. And the track safety is predicated on people being within the track white lines. The moment that you get outside of that, you are effectively running on the runoff. You are in places that you're not supposed to be, that might have concrete walls that you're not expecting to hit because you wouldn't expect people at that trajectory or at that tangent. And you've got marshals posts that are in a position that might not be protected because you don't expect people to be out there. And there is a a fundamental safety issue
6: about going off track as far as they were going off track at the speeds that they were going off track. And a prime example of that is you've turned a medium to fast corner into a flat out corner. Correct. And so the, the, the runoff is maybe not as adequate as it should be at those speeds. What would have happened if Rosenquist, instead of coming to the inside wall, which is protected,
1: had yes. flipped and gone to the outside yeah, yeah, yeah. wall, which well, isn't protected?
3: Yeah. Who, who was it? Somebody went off there in, in practice or qualifying. Yes. There's a great shot of that. And, so, yes, and one of the safety weather, guys yeah. was in the in the, in, in, in the the restroom at the time, which is right at the impact point there. Exactly. And, and he, he was watching out of the window of the, uh, of the, uh, of the portal lube while he was... <laughs> relieving yes. himself and, and saw what was happening he came bolting out there and ran through. I thought it was hysterical uh,
1: we've but, got yeah. uh, we've got a few people uh, commenting on that Kevin Payne says I'm in the camp that thinks the no track limit is completely wrong uh, Stu G says answer track limits let them run off track but since they're effectively rejoining the track when they come back on make them slow down or even stop completely before they do so that should sort things out we'll try and enforce that Uh, quick word about uh, before we leave quarter Oliver Askew had a win as well Jeremy there this weekend
3: no he had two wins Um, (laughs) he was massively impressive uh, massively impressive i mean gosh the first the first race he won by 46 seconds or something ridiculous what? he was absolutely gone league of his own okay the other guys were fighting behind it, and it was a brilliant race behind him by the way really exciting mm-hmm. race behind him great stuff stuff going on but oliver i've been saying this now for two or three years he is the real deal yes and uh you speak to everybody on that team and and they will say the same thing now there's a few question marks before but now yes uh, And stephen simpson by the way was Working with uh, with that team this weekend as a driver driver coach and uh, he, he, he was the same opinion too, massively impressed by Oliver and uh, he is uh, no question about it, one of the most exciting talents we've seen for a long time, we've seen a lot of great talented drivers come up through Indy Lights over the years, including two now who have just making their mark already this year uh, Patricio Ward and, and Colton Herder, yeah. and by the way Patricio did a darn good he job He did a very good job
1: in a, in a new um, team, he was, drafted was yeah, at the last minute that, blah blah blah, yes,
3: yeah, no testing that was seriously impressive so um, uh, Oliver for me is, is an Next uh, next step on that one. Jeremy, I got, that- I, I, well, no, I'm not going to let you go because I've go got to get this one in. Go on. Uh, t- for, t- for Team USA scholarship, he's one of the winners of that. Um, this weekend, Oliver won both races. Um, Joseph Newgarden was second in the IndyCarers. Colton Hurter, by the way, was, he was too young to win a, a Team USA scholarship. He'd moved, already moved <laughs> on to Formula 3 by the time he was old enough to go race and 4s in the UK. Uh, and Matthew Brabham also run the, the Robbie Gordon Stadium Truck Series. And all three of those guys, plus Braden Eaves, who won both USF 2000 championship races at mm. uh, St. Petersburg, are leading their respective championships at the moment. It's kind of cool, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very good, Jeremy. At the Team USA Scholarship still doing great work after all these years. Jeremy, thanks very much indeed. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Jeremy. Joining us at short notice tonight. Uh we should say as well, contrary to what they said on telly, and Sheer Adam was uh, very, very upset about this. Um Pato Award had in fact raced and won a quarter before, had he not?
4: Yeah, and I interviewed him on his birthday because it was his birthday weekend, the first time that he raced there in 2017.
1: Yes, exactly so. Uh, Shea will be coming back later on. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 12. Good to have your company tonight. Joe Bradley with us. We're waiting for Johnny Palmer to turn up at Hindhoff Towers as well. Lots more to come tonight, including Vance on Foss, as our big interview. Grailzy will join us. We'll leave him as late as we possibly can so that he can actually get up and get himself a cup of coffee. But now it's time to say good evening to a good friend of ours who we haven't spoken to for a wee while Uh, the man at the head of Aston Martin Racing that's David King
7: good evening David hello John it feels like uh, too long since we last spoke Uh, good to speak to you
1: it is far too long since uh, we've had a, a good old chin wag let's start with what happened at the weekend before we start delving into anything else congratulations on a couple of fronts first of all uh, Darren Turner and the team uh, into Super Taiko at the weekend, and only managed to go and win the thing.
7: That was it. Was great to get that first uh, first win with the new GT3 car under our belt. Um, it's perhaps not a series that uh, everyone would would have heard of, but it's um, it's a really really important uh, series in Japan that sits below the Super GT. And, uh, it was a great place to go and debut the car. Pretty tough race, five hours at Suzuka, mm-hmm. um, three drivers. We sent uh, Darren over to. Um, support as the pro in the car, um, given all his experience and background there. And um, a, re- a, a reasonably competitive field there and of pro-ams. And, uh, you know, the car should be showing its potential prior to homologation in a couple of guest races. And uh, we went and nailed that first win um, very early in the car's life, which is great. The primary purpose of of, uh, of signing up with uh, with D-Station as a partner team is obviously to, to be back into the Super GT. Field, but uh, the, the super tie Q is important to to them as well, and uh, and therefore to us. Uh,
1: and the other outing uh, that we were very closely monitoring was down at VLN one for the Nurburgring. A little bit of a, a delay in the race, but I loved your tweet about you chasing <laughs> round a certain M Brundle Esquire in the F in his F three days in your Vauxhall Chevette. That must have taken you back, and then to have him race with you at the Nurburgring at the weekend.
7: Uh, it, was, it was one of those special moments. I was I was massively into Formula Three when I was a teenager, and my f- my first hero there was Stefan Johansson. Actually, when he won the eighty-eight one, whenever it was, British Formula Three. um And then uh, I continued to follow that for some years. And you know, Martin Brundle was was yeah had a real old battle with Senna that year. It was quite quite an epic end to the season. And. Uh, I must have been at half a dozen races, saddled me on my own. So 18 years old with my camera and my Vauxhall Chevette, um, cheering him on. But uh, so to have him on one of my cars uh, years later felt felt really quite special. That that's a, that was a very special car he was
1: driving. To get his permit, obviously he's got to do a certain amount of laps. But but that's a thing that you've done for a wee while at the Aston Martin Performance Centre now with with the with the V8.
7: It it is. It's it's uh, necessary for any driver, regardless of of uh, status or reputation or, or or whatever, that they have to go through. If they have not, they have to go through this process, um, which involves doing minimum of eighteen laps in a VLN race in a low powered car. Uh, so we have a restricted V8 VA Vantage GT4, which is making no more than three hundred and something horsepower. That's that's. Um, we put a number of drivers through, professionals and uh, and uh, amateurs. And um, Martin had to go through that very same process. And I think if you followed his, some of his uh, his reporting over the weekend, he, he learned a hell of a lot and had a great experience. You achieve that
1: by simply what putting air restrictors on the car? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's,
7: a, it's a it's a calibration change that yeah. just, just uh, um, effectively stops the engine running um, uh, wide open throttle. It's not much, not not much more than a than a. Uh, Electronic brick under the throttle pedal, John. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think Martin got eight of his laps in, so he's he's got to do a little bit more, has he?
7: Yeah, because the because the race was was cut short because of the fog. So um, it uh, just means we'll have to run him and and the other uh, new newbie in the car in VLN. I think VLN three we're we're doing next, and then the the intention is then that Martin is fully qualified and able to do some proper, you know, unrestricted racing um later in the year with us with, uh, with our new hopefully with our new gt4s and uh, you know it's what a credit to martin that's he's still got the passion to come and and test himself um uh, at the you know the back end of his career
1: is that a service, by the way? That you know, it, we can ring up. Anybody can ring up and say, "Look, I've got a license. So long as you've got a, a, a race license, can I come down and do a bit of schooling and and jump into that at the performance Centre?
7: It absolutely is, and because we've got a permanent base there with with experienced people, we can walk somebody right through um, right through the stages: the, the the track training, the classroom training, and the uh, and the uh, restricted uh, racing in VLN. So um, and those that have gone through it have have um, loved it they got a lot out of it and it's relatively relatively affordable and um, and what it means is that everybody it 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 means that everybody there knows what they're doing because it used to be a few years ago you could just rock up with a with a national license and go and go and uh, cause havoc on the on the knowledge life amongst professionals. Um, it's, a, it's a good process and yes anybody interested um, drop me a line
1: yeah <laughs> oh you know you know what 's going to happen now i 'm saving pennies already that's uh, i'll start put, <laughs> start putting start putting money aside and you'll be deluged with uh with inquiries about that you and I have talked before about relationship that aston martin have with our motorsport going into the dtm this year and the excitement with dtm and super gt is they're coming closer and closer together and eventually actually the cars will be pretty much identical with the thought of of once the the technical specifications come together that people will be able presumably to swap backwards and forwards between one and the other david
7: i think that's the vision eventually yes and and you know our motorsport have got have got that you know see that vision uh, for the future um, they've become a really significant gt racing team over the past few years as well as being involved in some other aspects of our business so um you know they're a front line partner gt3 team now in blonde pan series and you know they've made the the brave um commitment um desire to uh to, to go into dtm and we're keen to support them we've licensed the brand to them and and um and whilst it's not, you know, a, a works entry as such, they are representing us um, at the highest level in that in that form of racing. And uh, fingers crossed, you know, they're coming from quite a long way back, late start to the season, uh, but they're pushing hard. And I think they're testing today, actually. And uh, um, first step, you know, that's yes, the the, um, the class one rigs for the future is a good opportunity. But the first step is to make sure they can get themselves into the series um, and uh um, and see how it goes from there.
1: Is it, uh, in some ways, is this the best time for them to do it? Because there's so much of a reset going on with new aero, new engines.
7: Yes, it's new regs, it's a new world, but those other those other manufacturer teams have been testing <laughs> and developing extensively. Um, and I think our motorsport have said publicly they're they're a bit behind in terms of the testing s- uh, schedule compared to the others. Um, and there's a bit of catch-up going on. It was always ambitious to, yes. to be there for the start of 2019 and you know what a credit to them that they're giving it a good go and i'm sure they'll they'll catch up and be on the pace fairly quickly we won't know until until the cars take to the track together in anger
1: you mentioned it's not a works entry that you've licensed the brand to them it's a subtle difference but but what exactly does that mean
7: frankly we've got our hands full as a company with um, a major commitment to wec in in gte as you know with um a significant number of of really good partner teams in GT3 around the world now, including our motorsport, and we've got our Red Bull relationship um, with Formula One and the technology partnership there, and everything we're doing on Valkyrie and, and stuff. So we've got our hands full, and um, it's not quite the time to take a fairly you know radical step into an into another class um, as a full works effort. But we're you know, delighted that uh, our motorsport. Um, have been prepared to take that uh, that risk on board and uh, and for us to to support them with the with the use of the brand.
1: Now you mentioned WEC there Sebring just gone double event what is your assessment of of how the season's gone?
7: I think it's amazing to think that they're still going in the same <laughs> in, the, in the debut season of the of the car um the super season of course required to reset the whole WEC into a kind of school year format from uh, from now on but um we, you know, we had a tough, uh, a tough start to the season. The car, brand new car, uh, new BOP, um, still developing the car. We had a bit of a setback in the the because we lost a car fairly spectacularly, as you remember, mm-hmm. Marco Sorensen. So, um, you know, looking back, it was it was Le was pretty tough. But the the what the takeout from that is, we had a reliable car, wasn't quite on the pace at the time, um, but very quickly have we got it competitive, such that we you know we won. We won in Shanghai, um, uh, previous race to Sebring at the end of last year, which, you know, halfway through its first season, you know, take a look at everybody else, with the exception of Ford back in 2016, but take a look at everybody else that's come in with a new car into WEC. You don't get the bot right and the car right and everything working mm-hmm. that quickly. And to win so early in the car's life was, was pretty impressive, and we'd been well on the pace um, in uh, Fuji beforehand and, and showing signs of good pace in Silverstone as well. And, and since then we went to Sebring and the car ran very competitively. Yes. We got, uh, we were very, I, I don't say I'm lucky because you can always look back to say, you know, but we had a little bit of bad luck um, when we climbed climbed uh, from towards the back after a weird qualifying messed up by the red flag and everything um, to for, into a strong second place. Um, and, you know, small repair minor bit of damage and and that's gone you know that's, that's um but we were overall very delighted to be back in sebring and frustrated at the result but <laughs> but very um pleased with how the car development is going and the pace that we see in the car now.
1: now you, you mentioned that sort of, what, 14-month season as it's going to be for the this transition season for WEC. Uh, there's pros and cons in that. That means the, the works team have been using that car and using that car exclusively and therefore getting a lot of data before any... Customer teams. I know. I know Paul Dallalana is is desperate to get his hands on on the new car because of the WEC regulations. He won't be able to race that until the start of what is their next season, which starts at, at Silverstone.
7: Well, if if Paul chooses to to continue his um, his WEC um, journey with us um, into next season, and uh, he'll he will be eligible to step up to the new car yeah. under the regs. Then, as you say, and yes, of course, the the, the benefit, the reason why works teams generally race on their own in season one before introducing customer teams is is you know to get the car fully sorted fully understood fully developed so that we can provide um a seamless customer experience partner experience afterwards so yes of course paul will get a car that's that's hopefully ready to win in in uh, in GTE, um, if he if he so chooses
1: the gt4s and the gt3s are starting to get into customer hands now that's a project that you've seen right from the very beginning david that that must be very fulfilling for you and for the rest of the team at emr
7: yeah we were we were very early in when when the, G, the whole gt3 uh, thing got together in the mid 2000s uh, we were one of the first teams uh, brands to homologate um with our old dbrs 9 um which was the GT3 version of of the DB9, and and so that we were right there back in 2006, um, and then we were first in really in GT4 in 2007, as you know, the car that sprang out of our Nurburgring 24 mm. car. Um, so something we strongly believed in um, this idea of racing cars that are very closely related to the road cars, and to go, to have gone a full cycle, seen the old Vantage through its whole whole life and then to have replaced it with with new Vantage now um it it takes a long time to build that reputation but but people know they're buying a car that's going to be well developed robust easy to drive um and good for endurance races and those those same those same characteristics uh, i think um are shown in in the new cars that we had in the old ones
1: and you must be delighted with the take up with the customer cars we're going to see more than ever in british gt as
7: well British GT is so important, you know. On the one hand, people say, "Oh, isn't it a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a nut having so you know works drivers in cars and and so many cars on the grid?" It's our domestic championship. I mean, we're a British brand. We should be. You know, you'd expect German brands to be, to go and look at them all in in VLN and and um, ADAC Masters and things. It's it's we it's great that we have such a strong presence in in uh, in British GT and that teams want to do it with us. Um, so yeah and yeah we've talked about this before you don't have to look that many years back to to see a pretty thin grid in british gt and now it's 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 very healthy and that's great for the sport
1: we've got a pretty significant milestone coming up um what some people call the hypercar regulations 2020 regulations for the top class call it lmp1 call it gtp whatever it's going to be called we don't know that yet there seems to be still a little bit of work to do on that. We've seen some draft regulations, which I've always thought was a good starting point and and we're, we're waiting to go on. Recently, David, a, a little bit of a clue or a, a maybe a movement from WEC and ACO starting to think that maybe cars that are based... More closely on road cars, or in fact, have even started life as supercars or hypercars, could be integrated into that category. Does that make it more likely that Aston might be involved in that that new top class and
7: and possibly to race for an overall victory at Le Mans? Well, I think yeah, we we welcome the um, the opening up. I mean, let's if we if we take a step back, I think everybody involved in racing would agree that that it, that the top level of um, sports car racing. Um, Atlemon needs, you know, three, four, five, six, you know, well known brands, top brands, all all fighting it out for the for the for the um, for the overall win. And that, you know, that's that's a, a fine objective that we should all we should all support, and I believe all manufacturers do. So what, what the FIA and the ACO are doing is trying to make that as likely as possible by opening up um, opening up the scope of the regulations and, and we we absolutely support that. Um, now, we've got. We're in a fortunate position that we that we have plenty of WEC and Le Mans experience through GTE. Um, we have um, a hypercar in 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 the pipeline uh, in the Berth canal right now with with Valkyrie. We have a another one that we showed um, showed in Geneva recently, the the, uh, the 003 project. Um, and we could also make a prototype. So you know, we have we have a number of options there, um, and uh, we have a strong desire to be back racing in the top class. But uh, you know, there's a little bit of work to do yet to get the regs finalised and sort out budgets and and everything else. But but in principle, we we um, we're keen to be involved.
1: On a on a sort of more broader and philosophical note, how do you think the GTE class would be affected by cars running at the front of the field that were more in line with what manufacturers were selling would it would it render gte obsolete i hope not
7: i uh, no i don't think so i think there's a clear separation between the kind of the hypercars that are imagined and the prototypes that are defined in the new regulations um mm. uh, versus the, the the series production um gt and sports cars um and you know there's a difference in performance there's a difference in in how they look and much as i've loved the whole lmp1 era you know they look like generic racing cars yes Um, there's not a lot of brand identity between them unless you really know the sport Mm. Um, and i think anything that makes the sport more accessible to more people um, to get behind teams and brands uh, i think is uh, is a positive thing,
1: and that's kind of what DPI have done: taking a generic chassis or one of four generic chassis and and sort of manufactured
7: it, it up a bit.
1: Is is DPI one way of looking at things, and and could that come to Le Mans, David?
7: I'm not the person to ask that. You know, <laughs> that's a poli- poli- political issue. The the suggestion, you know, the the idea is that the uh, the lap times of the new hypercars and prototypes um, will be slowed down for Le Mans, I think they've talked about a target number more like 330 rather than sort of three teens that we're seeing now. Um, And yes, of course, that puts the cars much closer to DPI performance. Mm. Um, And I Mm. think it's been hinted at that there might that might create an opportunity for the two cars to race together. But that's really not my call. Um, And um, we'll just have to wait and see how that develops.
1: Let's finish off on a positive note and uh, you you mentioned the new cars on the road car side of things. Aston Martin's going through um, a, a real time of change, has been for the last, what, half a decade or so delivering new cars delivering new models but crucially david staying absolutely true to the brand values which includes that gt racing ethic that you and i have talked about so many times before
7: it's so important even if most of our 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 customers will never take their car on a track or maybe will never even attend a race the fact that they know that their cars can do that uh, is really important. It adds, it adds de- depth and credibility to our cars and, you know, the, the success on the track we've, you know, recently taken through into the road cars more more seriously with the high-performance versions like the GT8 and the GT12 we've done recently and the Vulcan. And those cars gave us the confidence to enter into this whole Valkyrie um, partnership with with Red Bull as well and, and uh, uh, to create the AMR sub-brand that we're now using on our road cars. So, we couldn't have done any of that without the racing pedigree and the and the um, you know it's a long term commitment we made. It's two thousand and five since we came back and we've been at Le Mans and in the World Championship or whatever it's been called since then consistently. You know, there's only a couple of other manufacturers that have done that. It's a big commitment for a small brand, but it's something we it's absolutely at the heart of what we do and I'm very proud of what we've achieved.
5: And,
1: and I know very close to your heart is the Nurburgring 24. We'll, we'll see a couple of EMR entries there this year.
7: Yeah, we, we haven't quite announced our, our full plans there yet, John. Mm-hmm. But there will be—you uh, will see some some of our new racing products there Ooh, good. Um, this year. Um, it's not the full-out um, full-out effort that I'm still looking forward to because we're still in the early days of of the new GT3 and GT4 cars, and we're prioritizing uh, customer supply um, right now. But uh, yes, we've got something quite. Uh, exciting lined up that we'll be announcing for very soon.
1: Uh, make sure you let us know, David. Can't wait. Uh, keep up the good work and pass on all of our best to the whole team. Thanks for being with us, David King. Pleasure. And a special hello to Sarah Rigby after that tonight. Uh, David and I, before we came on air, we were just talking about superfan Sarah. I know she's listening in tonight. Joe Bradley is with us there. Very interesting what David King said there. The options that are out there for the ACO and the WEC, uh, stepping up the GT cars, uh, having a supercar or a hypercar based car at the, to- at the top class or a purebred prototype. You heard him say, we're ready to do any of those, mm. depending
6: on how the regulations go, but it's got to make business sense. Do you think you really meant that about a prototype? Yes. The like of which, you know, we've got an LMP1. Yes. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, a company like Aston Martin have showed and, and tech support forever, haven't they, really? You've well, the, got to go back a long way before you can find a, a race, an international sports car race without an Aston in and,
1: it. and look what he said about them supporting the World Championship or whatever it's been yes, since back since. in 2005. Yeah. Uh, the technical partnerships that they have with people like Red Bull yeah. and things like that and the manufacturing capabilities they have when you've seen some of the cars that they have, have brought out, like, the Valkyrie, like the 177, um, prototype is right up there straight if they well, need to do it.
6: When we saw that partnership evolve with Red Bull, we were a little bit worried would that sort of mm. uh, dilute their presence in sports car racing? But Not
5: it's
6: kind of proved. Not at all. It is, it is a technical partnership. and I'd like to see whatever that they come up with with that technology that they are able to test and develop and evolve from the F1 partnership. It would be nice to see that manifest in their sports car world, wouldn't it? Nice to be seen if the, uh, if the regulations do in fact go the way of the hypercar, which is uh, how it's looking. It's still, not in, it's still not on paper, though, is it? We're still up in the air as to exactly where, what direction the World Endurance Championship's going to go in. So it's a bit of a... It must be a bit of a puzzler. It's a puzzler for us. If you're a manufacturer, surely you would, by now, be needing a direction to take things in, considering the new season starts in September. But you've deliberated that on this show for many weeks now, haven't you?
1: Yeah, it, it, 2020, 2021, it's, it's less than a year away. Yeah. Uh, oh, it is a year yeah, I meant
6: away. the year in September.
1: Yeah, I, 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 mm. we'll, we'll find out. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, thanks very much to David King of Aston Martin for coming on the show and giving us the time. Interesting stuff. I, I may actually be listening to that on the archive later on tonight. Tim's been on fire recently, getting those back. Oh, not not literally. literally. No, indeed. <laughs> uh, hello. Sarah Rigby says, I'm very happy about... Thank you for all the... uh, I'm very happy about Aston Martin. I'm very happy for all the superb racing and the kind shout-outs. Of course, we'll be covering the Nürburgring 24, so whatever it is that David King is very excited about. And if David King is very excited about it, then we should be excited about it, because that man lives... He's an engineer. He is a brilliant engineer, but he is a race fan at heart, David King, and a very big cricket fan as well. And if he's
6: excited about it, then we should be excited about what's going to happen. At
1: the Nürburgring. He's got,
6: he's got a racer's heart, is not he? Oh, it? massively. If you took it out and, and cut it in half, it'd have racer going through it like have a rev counter.
1: <laughs> It'd have a rev counter in it. It
6: absolutely would. Yeah, he has a passion. Shea Adam
1: is back with us. Uh, time for a little bit of uh, American news. bit
2: of uh, NASCAR.
1: Well, before we do NASCAR, can we do a bit of IMSA news, Sheer? Because uh, I'd like to talk about... The results from the uh, the Sebring, the the mobile 1 Sebring, twelve hours presented by uh, advanced,
4: advanced Auto, auto parts.
1: parts. Because <laughs> I can't Action I Express. can't find no not Action Express. Um, <laughs> because I can't find any results at the moment.
4: Uh, John, it's driving me insane. And my mom said the world is still turning. You need to get over it and just move on. And I'm saying no because I need the official results so that I can close out Sebring and move on. But there's still no official results. And when I look back through the drive times, there's only one car that missed out. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't know if they're going to take any action towards it. Yeah. But there's one car that was slightly short on drive time. It moves the car down one position. That doesn't matter. The fact that we still don't have official results makes me think that maybe there's something bigger going on. Mm. Maybe somebody didn't get their data stick in on time. I- I'm not going to speculate as to what it is. But the fact that we still don't have official results results. Two weeks after the race, that is driving me bonkers. Uh,
1: Barber Motorsports next weekend for the next IMSA action, which is part of the uh, IndyCar series, and a phenomenal entry for the Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by
4: Yokohama. Yeah, very few TBAs left on the list. A couple of drivers still yet to be announced in various programs, uh, including who's going to take up Tristan S... Trenton Estep, easy for me to say, who's going to take the mantle of driving the number three Hertz JDX car. We still don't know that, but we do know that Roman DeAngelis is coming back. We know Sean McAllister, who is the Hurley Haywood Scholarship winner. He's going to be there. A lot of familiar names, but also a lot of cars in both classes. They've got 30 Porsches entered for the weekend. And I think it was 19 Lamborghinis so far confirmed for the Lamborghini Super Trofeo, which also kicks off at Barber. Tip Griff.
2: A champion crowned in the desert, the last great colosseum becomes a postseason factor, a tricky double-header, and the birthplace of NASCAR bookending the regular season.
4: Yeah, you
1: need it to be talking like that <laughs> in th- a world <laughs> in a world where one man and one woman can make a difference. Uh, this this has got to be the NASCAR calendar, Tim.
2: Significant and dynamically different.
4: Yep, big, big shake-up in the schedule for NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson likes it, so two thumbs up for the seven-time champion. I'm not a fan, not yet, at least. Big movers in terms of the schedule. As Tim just touched on, Phoenix will now be the finale. That is the last race on the calendar, and that's going to come a week earlier than we're used to seeing it. So the season will now end on November 8th instead of ending the week after at Homestead. But will they fit in
2: all the races if they're finishing a week early, Shay?
4: Well, they've moved one of the weeks off. Uh, they're now going to be racing on the Le Mans weekend, which is Father's Day. That's traditionally been off. They're going to be at Sonoma instead. They're normally at Sonoma. This year, they'll be at Sonoma while we're covering the Nürburgring. So still racing on racing. Um, Daytona still starts the season, but it also bookends the season because it's the end of August that they've moved that race to. It's going to be Daytona for the start and Daytona for the end. But then you've got a hole for the 4th of July weekend, which is normally when the Daytona week is. They've moved Indianapolis, which was normally in August, to the Daytona 4th of July weekend. They've made Bristol a night race. But what it's more significant is that it's now a playoff cutoff yeah. race. So that's going to be really interesting. Pocono is a doubleheader. Two races in the same weekend. Oh, good grief. Please bring two cars and then a spare. There's going to be a race on Saturday and a race on Sunday. They've moved Martinsville, which is now going to be a night race. So the race we just saw this last weekend. And by the way, congratulations to Brad Keselowski, who absolutely destroyed the competition. He led more laps at Martinsville than anyone else has in the modern era. Martinsville is now Mother's Day weekend, Saturday night race, so oh. all the mothers out there won't be too happy about that. Um, Darlington opens the playoffs. That's the other big news. So we go from Daytona to Darlington. They're kind of getting in alphabetical order, which I like. Um, the season is I would now going alphabetical from alphabetical
2: order, surely.
4: Yes, exactly. But but there's some sort of parody to it, which I like. Um, the season goes from Daytona. West Coast Swing, as soon as the 500 is over, they're out to Vegas, Fontana, Phoenix. Then they come back to Atlanta, and here's the bombshell. Then they go to Homestead, the week after Sebring. So Homestead is no longer the finale. That goes to Phoenix. Homestead, I fear, will be desolate because race fans who live in Florida either go to the Daytona 500 or they don't go to a race. And the only reason that people down here went to Homestead was because it was the it was last count. race of the
1: season and it was play, it was it was decided the championship.
4: Exactly. That's the only reason it got any sort of coverage on the news at all down here. This is going to end Homestead Miami Speedway. I, I'm really worried about this no longer really? being on the NASCAR calendar. Yeah.
5: Right.
1: Okay. Uh, just before we go into our big interview, which is Van Sant um uh, coming up just after nine o'clock. Uh, Final bit of American news. Good news and bad news, Cher, about the California eight hours. Uh, oh, sorry. No, before we do that, we've been talking about NASCAR qualifying, Cher, and there's a change to NASCAR qualifying to, to try and negate or at least mitigate some of the nonsense we've seen in the last few weeks.
4: Yep, really, really quickly. Basically, NASCAR decided to step up after the kerfuffle that we saw at Texas Drivers who do not post a lap in the final stage of qualifying will start from back of the field. And also, you can't do this slowing down, speeding up, parking in random spaces. They've changed it so that if you are not accelerating or slowing down to come into your pit stop or you're going into the designated area, then you're going to get a penalty.
1: Uh, Good news, bad news for SRO and the WeatherTech Raceway Laguna, circa eight hours uh, for the next round of the Intercontinental uh gt championship coming off a huge success at the well-established bathurst going to california good news 16 gt3 cars considerably up on what we've seen in the past bad news only four other entries
4: yeah and three gt4 cars which should be very strong amongst themselves one entry yet again for the gt cup which is the lamborghini it was the exact same story last year but there are almost no interlopers because instead of the race taking place right when people are starting to get warmed up for the off season, it's smack dab in the middle of everybody's busy season. So yeah. you have very few other cars showing up. A lot of strong drivers. It should be a good race in terms of the, the 16 GT3 cars, but definitely not the numbers they were expecting. Having mid-30s last year, now they're facing 20. Ah,
1: oh, such an annoyance uh, for that event because I do feel it could be. A very good uh, event indeed. Shit, thank you very much for joining us. Speak to you next week. Thanks, guys. Shit Adam, joining us uh, live from Fort Lauderdale. Before that, we had Jeremy Shaw. And it's just after nine o'clock here. on Midweek Midweek
0: Motorsport, Motorsport, where we're only halfway.
1: And still to come tonight, Richard Krill will be getting up, pouring himself a cup of coffee and talking antipodean motorsport. That's the stuff down under to you and me. No clue whether they've changed clocks, haven't changed clocks. Some of Australia have, some haven't, some don't. Mm. Anyway, that's still to come. Uh, We'll be having a chat about Kreventig this weekend, back with the FIA uh, International Endurance Series. 12-hour race split into two, three and a nine at Mugello. I'm excited because I've not been there before. Joe Bradley and hopefully Johnny Palmer to talk about that. But coming up now, more of your tweets as well, of course. Keep them coming at specutainment. But coming up next, it's the big interview. And I've been to Belgium to do that. WRT is where I was last week. And that's where the big interview comes from. Next on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek
0: Motorsport. On RS1.
1: For this week's big interview on Midweek Motorsport, I've come to the beautiful and famous city of Mons in Belgium or at least just outside which is the home of WRT and to give me a little overview of what's going on in 2019 Vincent Voss is alongside me first of all thanks for having us here uh, Vincent and it looks like 2019 is going to be another busy year
8: yeah well it's, uh, it's already started quite well because we've already been uh, in uh, 24 hours of Dubai and 24 hours of uh, Daytona and uh, some of races in, uh, in the Emirate, And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's starting already with testing, and, but uh, the real European season is starting next week. Um,
1: how and many, how many events will WRT personnel go to this year? Because you've got a GT programme, you've got a TCR programme, you build and support the VW Fun Cup, and... Of course, now you also have DTM, which we'll come on to in a moment. Uh, your travel planner, your logistics planner, must be very busy.
8: Yeah, well, uh, it's probably over, uh, over 50 uh, race weekend. Um, yeah, it's difficult to count all of them. I never did it so. so I, it's <laughs> probably just as well. Not, not easy to answer, but um, um, I will be myself to about 30 race weekend. Wow. That's more than when you were driving. Yeah, yeah, a lot more,
1: unfortunately. Tell me about DTM. That's the big news for 2019. It's a new-look GTM. Cars are different. Engines are very different, down to four-cylinder from eight cylinders. And you have been selected as Audi Sport's uh, customer racing privateer team. Tell me why it's the right time for WRT to go to what is a very competitive, manufacturer-normally-based championship.
8: Well, it is the right time just because yeah, rules are changing and uh, cars are new. And uh, if you were coming to the to the DTM last year, you will uh, fight against team which has ten years of experience of this kind of regulation. And now you are coming to uh, to a new a new DTM uh, era. And uh, this new DTM era is coming with a four-cylinder, as you said, four-cylinder uh, um, turbo uh, engine with with about 100 horsepower more than it was the last 10 years. Uh, that's extraordinary, lighter.
1: isn't it? That a little four-liter, a little four-cylinder can produce more power than the big V8.
8: Well, that's, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's great. It is like it is in the Japanese GT500 since few years. Those engines are clearly uh, the one to have today, and uh, they give more horsepower. Uh, the car is about uh, 50 kilos lighter. The aero is changing quite a lot, and uh, there is a new rear wing, which is the rear wing of the of the GT500, with a push to pass and uh, DRS. So, and the rules of DRS is changing. So. There is a lot of change in DTM, and uh, that's the reason why we believe it was the right time to go, to go in. There's a lot of excitement among fans about the
1: <laughs> Class 1 touring cars coming together, about the regulations of uh, GT500 and DTM becoming uh, much closer. Close enough, in fact, there'll be a couple of uh, joint races in uh, 2019.
8: Do you share that excitement? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think, you know, there will be an event in, 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 in um, I think Hockenheim will be, um, uh, some of the Japanese car will be there and, and uh, we will be in Fuji in uh, November. Um, and, and I really believe that, you know, with Toyota now coming instead of Lexus mm. and Toyota wants to push uh, the Supra up in front. And uh, I think it is, you know, it's, it's difficult to say where a category is going to succeed, but today there is everything there to make the DTM uh, a, great, a great category for the next 10 years.
1: You mentioned that Toyota, of course. Toyota are in the um, World Endurance Championship as well, the WEC. Le Mans, uh, ACO, WEC, they have some big decisions to make about what will be the top category there from 2020 onwards. Some years ago, I spoke with Dieter Gas about whether the old DTM cars then, or then the DTM cars, would make an endurance racing car. And he said, actually, yeah, pretty easily Uh, it could be done. Class
8: one touring cars, maybe go to Le Mans, or is that a step too far? I think yeah, it's a step too far today, but, but I don't see a DTM running at Le Mans, but uh, they have everything to make it happen. I mean, uh, the reliability, the reliability the engines. of yeah. the engines, gearbox, everything. I mean, yes. when you see how much they are doing during the season, um, I think it, it it could happen. But uh, yeah, there is some decision to be taken by ACO. Um uh, in the next few days, weeks, and uh, those decisions will be very important. Everyone is looking a little bit what is happening there. Um, There is a GTE class which is, you know, up and down, but which is the class Mm. of the ACO today. Mm. Um, The only class where manufacturers are involved. Mm. Um, Manufacturers. Yes. Uh, because yeah nmp1 there is only one manufacturer one real manufacturer and yeah it's um, but a gte a super gte could be uh, an option would I that think- would that interest you obviously it has to be
1: a business decision for wr team and and you you don't go into things that don't work for you on a on a business basis this is not a charity this this is a business it has to more than wash its face it has to provide a return on on investment as as a team as a a team owner as a team principal uh and founder here what are you looking for in a category to make you interested in it
8: well i mean it's just you know the opportunity has to be there it's never been the case the last the last 10 years um opportunity where we could you know make it happen first and then being competitive
1: and go to Le Mans yeah
8: to go to Le Mans, yeah, mm-hmm. um, it it will be uh, for us. It will be great, and uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big fan of the race, but uh, yeah, we are already doing a lot, and um, today it's not in on the agenda. But why not? I mean, it could be it could be an option in a year or two years or five years. We will just take it when it when it will come and when we will feel that there is an opportunity to do something a bit special. But, of course, be there yes,
1: no you don 't want to just be there to make up the numbers, which you never are when we see WRT on a, an entry list wherever it is in the world, and whatever championship or event it is, we know that you guys are shooting for a, a victory, um, and of course, endurance racing you 're no strangers to that, having just come back earlier in the year from Daytona and the rolex twenty four the American Championship, IMSA is doing very nicely at the moment. GT3, of course, is eligible for that. More in the states to come for WRT. Well, I mean, I know you're a big fan of Sebring, aren't you?
8: Yeah. Well, I mean, those races, you know, Daytona, Sebring, especially Sebring. uh, It's a it's a very important race for a fan of endurance. Uh, but What's so special about
1: Sebring, other than say Daytona or Watkins Glen or or well, Road Atlanta, which are the other yeah, long races. Though? I
8: mean, Sebring is a very has a, a huge CV, uh, historic of of endurance races, and uh, I used to do uh, Sebring myself as a driver, and I just love the atmosphere of Sebring, which is. The closest, probably, of what is Le Mans. Yes. Um and a little
1: bit crazy, isn't it?
8: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a crazy race. It's a, it's a very American race. But, yeah, um, uh, things is happening there. And, and uh, yeah, I, uh, today, probably, Daytona has changed a little bit. But uh, Sebring is the biggest endurance race uh, in America. Uh, and IMSA, the American style of racing
1: is something that you enjoy as an individual and a team?
8: Yeah, well, we've we been for the first time this, uh, this year in Daytona uh, with the team. Um, it was a great, um, uh, it was a great uh, atmosphere, it was a great race, and it's more important uh, than any other endurance races. You need to be there for the last few hours, but the last few hours did not happen this year. Yes. So uh, we were there. Um, We were. uh, We did a. We did a strong job. Uh, We did not succeed. We did not win the race. Won the race, but uh, we uh, we were on the podium. We we fight. We were leading the race, and that was an important job from the crew. And uh, you know, being there for the first time. I mean, everything is different there. The regulation uh, is very very different. Uh, The car is a little bit different. The tires we use are different. I mean, it's, it's, quite, a big, it's quite, a, quite a big change from what we are doing. Uh, and uh, we were there and we, we did the job.
1: And of course, GT3 has been a, an important part of WRT for such a long time, pan Endurance, pan Sprint. That continues this year with uh, a huge commitment with the Audi R8s, they're all sitting just over there being prepped for the start of the season. What, have you, what are your hopes and your expectations for this year?
8: Well, um, you know, we are, we are entering a lot of different races with the GT3 category and most of them are SRO Budges uh, uh, races. And um, I have to say I'm a big fan of what uh, Stefan uh, is doing, not only for the last 10 years because of being a team, but for the last... 25 years for what Stefan has achieved and the passion Stefan has put on the table and you, you saw what SRO did the last uh, 25 years it was not called SRO but uh, Stefan was involved and it's uh, he has created the GT racing uh, on the modern day. Uh, he has created uh, what is GT today and more, uh, more uh, than ever, the GT3 yes. uh, is the main GT over the world. I mean, you can go and race in Australia, in South Africa, in America, in China or Japan. I mean, everywhere they are using this uh, GT3 category uh, regulation. So we are there with, with a lot of cars, with a lot of uh, attention from, the, from our, our crew here and uh, we are there to fight for championships and yeah we will be at the end of the year we will be in Macau next week we will be in Laguna Seca Um, and during this uh, time we will run around the world with with GT3 cars and uh, we will always try to keep that we always put ourselves in a situation to be able to win races and we will keep that. Um, Nürburgring 24 as well? Green 24 for uh, the first time in the last five years or uh, I don't know uh, six seven years I don't know um, we will not we will not attend that race which is a uh, again a very different a very very different race. Um, we will not attend because of um, our program yeah. um, and uh, the, the way the race is scheduled uh, at the end of June now. Uh, the race will be there uh, for the end of June, and it—I ge- mean—our program is too heavy that yes. to be uh, to be involved in the 24 Hours of Nurburgring. So with Audi, we decide that we will we will uh, concentrate on some other programs.
1: Okay. Um, now we can't talk to you here without talking about these lovely RS3 uh, TCR cars that are sitting alongside. Uh, only some of them are here because the rest got packed up last night straight after your 10th anniversary party, your 10th birthday party for WRT and uh, sent for testing at the Nürburgring. Um, is the, is this TCR category doing for touring cars worldwide what GT3 and GT4 has done for, for endurance and GT racing?
8: Well, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a copy. It's a copy of what uh, GT3 is doing. I mean, uh, it came a bit later, uh, but the way it was uh, set uh, from, uh, Marcello Lotti. Uh, it's exactly a copy form from, from what, uh, Stefan did for, mm. for GT3. And it's, we will see. Uh, I mean, now GT3 is there since I think 2006 was the first GT3. Um, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, I mean, TCR now is there since 2015, I believe it's, it's a great category. Uh, I really believe in, and, and you know, now with WTCR and uh, Eurosport getting involved and everything, it's it's a it's a great category. Um, and I believe, since the first day uh, of those uh, TCR of this TCR category, but uh, let's see what it gives in the future. And the next two two years will be very very important for the category.
1: What I think has surprised most people, me included. I always thought they were looking great as a as a touring car, as a sprint car. What I didn't expect them to be is so good in endurance racing uh, specification. We see them at the 24 Hours of Dubai, in some of the other Kravendik, uh events. Even I think there's some going to be at the Nurburgring 24. That was a, a bit of a surprise to me, but that underlines that that's a that's a proper racing car.
8: Yeah, I mean it's you know. Um i mean if you are talking about the 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 engine the engine is like GD, the gt3 is uh, quite close from a from a road car engine and uh, the car is not so you know it's not so such a technical car i mean it's it's i mean it's the closest of touring car that i know from. i mean it's it's very close from a road car going and um it's quite efficient um the re is there, and you know, when you have German manufacturer like, o- <laughs> like Audi or Volkswagen Group uh, entering into a category, they make mm. sure that that car can go around the Nürburgring for 24 hours.
1: <laughs> yes, of course they do. Vincent, thank you very much for your time. Before I let you go back to work in what is a very busy time for you, 10 years uh, now since you formed and, and founded WRT. It's been a very successful 10 years for every single year that you have been in existence here at WR Team. You've won championships and, and races. First of all, hopefully you'll keep that going and I know that you will try very hard with the 80 or so people who share your passion here. Secondly... What do you think the next ten years will bring for WRT? You've just started DTM. Is there something else that you would like to do? Not tomorrow, not next week, but eventually. Is there something in the distance that you are still aiming for?
8: Well, uh, first of all, when we when we create, when we found uh, WRT in 2009, um, we were we were making a team to do the Belgian uh, GT Championship and. uh, we had no special goal of doing anything <laughs> else than that. Just in my in my in my mind, I had this 24 hours of Spa, which is our home race and important race for us. So uh, that was that was the goal. And then one year later, we were already doing quite a very different program. And um, I mean, to 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 be able to be fighting for championships in whatever category we are entering it's already an achievement. And um, we achieved to win 39 different uh, championships the last 10 years, um, which is uh, an incredible job from the guys. And I have to say, I'm, I'm very lucky uh, to, be, to be involved in this team and to be uh, with such a group of people working with me. It's been uh, inc- an incredible journey. And I will make sure that... Uh, this is the same for the next 10 years. And if there is a goal for the next 10 years, it will be just to be able to keep on winning and fight for championships. And if there is an extra little thing on the top of it, it will be to go to Le Mans and do something a bit special. So, let's see.
1: But well, as you said, if you're going to go to Le Mans, you don't want to be making the numbers up. You want to be in with a chance, in whatever category that is.
8: Well, we did, we did in 2016, we did an ELMS race which was, a, again, a very special moment because we got the car for the first time. It was a Ligier uh, in LMP2. We got the car for the first time. a um, Few days before the race, I made a deal with, with Jack from, uh, Jack from um, Ligier. and um, He was pushing us to do something special in Spa for the ELMS race. We had a technical issue and we crashed the car in, I think, qualifying. And we had to rebuild a complete LMP2 car. Which you'd never seen before that we'd week? Which would never seen before. Wow. Uh, everyone from Ligier told us that it will be a very difficult thing to do. And uh, we got a chassis during the night uh, from, from Ligier. We got an engine, which was in England. And we, we got to the race uh, in the morning. We did not do the warm up because we were too late. Uh, we, we were not able to do it. Um, we got to the race, we start last, and after a few uh, minutes or a few hours, we were leading the race and we fight for the win. And we finished at the end, we finished second with a puncture. But uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, if we are able to do those kind of things, I would be very happy. See, that just sums up to me,
1: WRT. That is, we never quit, we never stop, we never stop fighting. Vincent, congratulations on 10 glorious years. Here's to the next, well, in fact, however many
8: more you decide to have. Thank you, John.
2: Vincent Voss there talking to John last week in Belgium. Friday. Friday.
8: Mm.
1: It's great. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, it was on Facebook Live, and Tom Christensen and I presented that. And uh, I'm not sure how many people realise that WRT, WRT, bought a company called uh, AMP, uh, who are based at Stavolo near Spa, who build all the chassis for VW Fun Cup. So we had a VW Fun Cup car there and a chassis there. The engineering is superb. And that facility just outside of Mons yeah. um, is magnificent. They're running a DTM out of there, two DTM cars. They're running four GT3 Cars and
6: four TCR cars out of there. It's proper. They're building Fun Cup cars at the place at Stavolo.
1: Yeah, and, and they have some stuff there as well, actually.
6: Trusses and I are working for a team in the uh, Spa 25 hours in the European Fun Cup. If I'm not working, I think I might be there. Cool, 25 hours. I'm going to stay. Single. They're a single seater.
1: Oh, they're, they're, they're a, a they a silhouette
6: they? formula, aren't they? The, the single seat ones.
1: It's a um, an Audi VW. Uh, Two-litre twin cam, uh, which is normally turbocharged. To take off the turbocharger and in the intercooler, so it's, it's actually the
6: driver, like for, Formula style.
1: It, it's sitting behind, exactly so. Paddle shift. It's fantastic. And there's a secondary category in the 25 hours where there's two-seat cars, and you take a passenger with you
6: in the race. Does the passenger have to be a certain weight? No. So you would look for the smallest guy you yes. can find. Yeah, absolutely. Warren Hughes. Yes, he weighs at least 35 kilograms. Yes,
2: soaking and wet. Tim, have you got a bit extra news for us? Well, I'd like to mention, of course, that WRT uh, also ran in the International Formula 3000 Championship. Yes, they did. Mm. Uh, with uh, uh, Ananda Mikula, Hidetoshi Mitsusada, Mark Hines, Dino Morelli and Sohaya Ayari. Mm. And another Belgian Formula 3000 team was mm-hmm. And many is, that, is that a weird sink? This is this is where we're going off on not a tangent, it's just a linked story Alright, this, uh, this is a weird segue is Many years ago, Sam Boyle, the team manager of Astra Omega, was talking to me about his new Formula 3000 driver and right. said, I've picked up this kid out of Formula Renault I think he's going to be a bit special <laughs> Right, and who is that? Well, that driver has this week launched his own Formula Renault team Oh, wow Unfortunately, he's called it F-A-R-T Excellent! No. That
6: is fabulous.
2: The Fernando Alonso racing team.
6: Really? Yes. F-A-R-T Has he done that deliberately? Yeah. He knows about English culture. Why? Well, he's,
1: he's he's put himself he's around, out.
6: He's been around English humour for a long but time. He's, he he's
1: what, just put himself out in the
2: wind there, hasn't he? He knows what F E R T means. Is that breaking news? <laughs> Do you know what uh, Fernando's been doing today? Uh, he was driving a rally car for Toyota Kazoo. In South Africa, yes. Oh, was he? I didn't realise it was South Africa. Ha- ha- just No, just a it's test. A, it's a test, uh, but uh, he said, I've tried different series and different cars over the past two years, and this is an opportunity to try something very different to what I'm used to driving. Uh, he was joined uh, by his special off-road advisor, uh, Junil de Villiers, who uh, knows a little bit about...
1: Uh, which, which, Toyota, which former Toyota LMP1 driver not only took part in rallying and competed, but won an ERC, I think it was coefficient three or four rally. Uh,
2: Toyota drivers, hang on. Oh, that, was Sarazan Toyota It
1: was! Sarazan, very good, Stefan Sarazan. Very good, Tim.
6: He was rallying before he was a, a track racer. One thing. of
1: the reasons he, he stayed with Toyota was because they uh, allowed, released him to go and do... I think, he's, I think he... He either won or placed in the Tudor course one year is, round of the European yeah it, it used to be a world rally championship yeah yeah um, but it was it was shifted out and, and he he went I mean that's a tough rally and he, he 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 was I didn't interview with him Tim actually but it'll be on the archives so which somewhere. one are we talking about Stefan Sarazan Stefan
2: Sarazan what I didn't
1: interview it? with him about um why drivers didn't do that it was I interviewed him at Fuji when in the WEC days when I was doing WEC TV um and I did an interview for us, I think. Or did I write it up for Mobile One? the Grid? It all sort of blends into one. Um, it might be on the archive. If you search Stefan Sarazan, it, I, it
6: might be on the archive. I can remember when Ayrton Senna did a, a rally test for a In Wales. car and car conversions magazine. Wales. Where did that ever go? What a brilliant magazine! C that was. He loved it. The yeah. hardest thing he had to get his head round was the noise that was coming from underneath mm. the car. He he felt it felt as, as though the bomb. the car yeah, it was, was so just
1: destroying apart. itself. He drove across there in a Mercedes Benz 500 SEL.
6: I've probably still got the magazine in the loft. I bet you have.
2: You mentioned Corsica just now. Yes. And this weekend, Corsica hosts the next round of the World Rally Championship. Does it? Yeah. It's back to be a
6: Tonight. WRC event. It's another segue.
2: Some of the stages currently have snow on them. Excellent. Quite deep snow. Oh really? Really? To the closest that, that to, to use Italy. Them. Well, it's, uh, no, it's not, in the Mediterranean Tuscanism. between Italy and France.
6: Corsica's an island in the Med. Yes. Mm.
2: Uh, meanwhile, Wales okay. Rally GB. Yes. Will be based in Wales again this year. Land t- Landudno. Uh, and not in Cheshire as it no, has been for the last five wasn't years. It, yeah. Yes
1: no, it's good. Well, at least that's where the service area is. Yes. I, I don't know whether the start and finish is there, but
2: uh, I've got some sports car news very quickly. Excellent, fire away. Uh, the uh, ELMS have announced that Paul Ricard will be free entry all weekend. Mm. Excellent. I'll get a car and enter them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the what spectators. I thought. That's what I thought immediately. Thought of
1: that. Is uh, this for the prologue and the ELMS race? Uh, for the leisure.
2: Leisure. race weekend, yeah.
6: I know somebody who's got leisure Lang- I remember. Of course you do.
2: And other sports car news, yeah. if you are thinking if you are thinking of entering a different race, the Race of Remembrance this year... Oh, yeah, get your entry in fast. You have to be very quick because the early bird discount uh, expires at the end of this month. So you've only got four days, really. Uh, and they're already two-thirds full. Yes, yeah, so only 21 spaces left on that 53-car grid. Yeah. Uh, oh well not
1: quite two thirds uh, but it's not far away though is it uh, Le away. Castellet by the way the test at Le Castellet for ELMS uh, is
2: Monday and Tuesday
1: 9th of April for ELMS and the race is the 14th of April yes uh, so that's a week on Monday uh,
2: a bit of very quick Formula 1 testing news young driver yep. test coming up uh, and Mick Schumacher will be in a Ferrari mm. wait a minute hang on a second Nope,
1: nobody has a surprised face on that. Hooray!
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mick Schumacher is uh, the test driver for Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo. So correct. he's going to be the young driver test uh, participant for Alfa Romeo. That will be Callum Eilot. Right. Oh, really? Uh, Formula One's also made progress towards its 2021 regulations following a series of <laughs> meetings in London yesterday. Yeah, is, is this effectively the the bones of a new Concorde Agreement team? It is very much. It needs mm. to be ratified. Uh, if they want to introduce it for 2021, it needs to be introduced 18 months in advance of the start of 2021, which means they've got until the June meeting of the FIA World Motorsport Council uh, to sort this out. Uh, we don't know what these are going to be because the teams have all been signed to secrecy and they <laughs> do seem to be abiding by that to, yeah. to some extent. Just going to get rid of front wings. Um, That's all they need to do. But uh, and wings. losing uh, aerodynamics at the front uh, is uh, yep. certainly something that they're talking about. Uh, there's also uh, different uh, ideas on... Engine rules, cost-cutting, revenue distribution, governance?
1: Well, revenue distribution is an interesting one because I saw an article about uh, how the revenue is distributed in, the, for example, the Premier League. And, you know, Manchester City winning the championship got a huge amount of money. Um, but it, it, it was quite a lot more than the guys at the bottom. But it yeah. was by no means the same... Multiple of Ferrari to Williams. to Williams, yeah, not by a factor of ten. It Although was
2: Williams do get quite a lot of heritage money still, yeah. don't they? Yeah. It's the heritage money that. Buys. But if
1: you look at somebody like Sauber, they don't. Because they're also Romeo. Did they lose piece. that? No, no, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do All with right. how many points you score. That we went through this a few years ago. That there are several tiers of how you get money out of Formula One. One is you get paid per point, which is Raised yeah.
2: And also for uh, championship finishing position, Yeah, which is different from points, apparently.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, but the, all, there are also some teams who get what's called heritage money.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And the people who get the most of that is Ferrari.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: They've been there since the beginning. And they're Ferrari. And the, the reason they're Ferrari, in, that, in the way that you said that, is because they were there in the beginning. But they should... But nobody should get paid. Everybody
1: should get paid according... There should be a standard payment for everybody, a considerable standard payment for everybody, and then if there's going to be any bonuses paid on the top, it should be purely by performance. And you could I, argue that it should be reverse performance because the guys who do the best yeah. should get the less, the least money.
6: Yeah, because... Yes. Yes. I can see your point. It would certainly create a competitive field potentially. Well, also the people who've done the best should be able to raise the most but sponsorship. I, I, I can understand why the heritage money goes to Ferrari because but there should you know, be heritage. If you if you just come in, That's an anachronism. You, you hind off GP turns up with you know your latest lottery win and enters Formula One and makes a shed load of money at the end of the season and walks away. And yet Ferrari's there. But you, you can't know? do that because if you walk away, you don't get paid your
1: money. You've got to stay in there for another two seasons All right, to well, get your money. You need a big lottery winner, I know.
2: Okay. Well, John's uh, idea would uh, certainly go down well in Harringale, Waltham Forest. <laughs> uh, but we need to move on to Mugello because that's Michel-o- where the next round of the Preventic C- C- Championship Bella. is taking place. This is the first European round of the year, isn't it? Yes. yes.
1: And Joe Bradley is here to talk about it.
2: Yes, he is. And, and Johnny Palmer's not.
6: No, Johnny Palmer isn't. No, Johnny Palmer's not going.
2: But uh, I apparently
6: can. because last season there was a big disappointment when Magello wasn't on the calendar. Yeah. And there was a big hurrah when Magello was mentioned to be on the calendar this year. And I think the reason was for a um, last season the the track got a full, um, um carry on re- resurface resurface. That's the word. So we're back at Magella like Silverstone and, did. Yeah, no, well, hopefully not. No, no, we'll find out this weekend, won't we? Um, weather forecast good. Um, excellent entry. Um, eight A6 Pros, eleven A6 AMs, thirteen TCR cars, and a load of other class runners. Massive, massive grid, and some quality in there as well. The usual protagonists: Skedaria Praha, Herbert Motorsport running two Porsches in the AM class. Um, Hindhoff's first visit to Magellan. Oh, I, I can't
1: wait! This is it's, a, it's been a while since I've ticked off a brand new circuit. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. We've got uh live coverage of qualifying and both parts of the race, it's three plus nine. Um, live in audio for the first practice session, and then qualifying is at 10 o'clock UK time. On the 29th, which is Friday, the first part of the race is 1 o'clock UK time on Friday. The second part of the race is at a slightly early 6.30 uh, on the Saturday. But the good news is that means we can get on a plane from Bologna on
6: Sunday to go to Wembley. Yes, we can, Yeah, thankfully.
1: First um, time I've mentioned that.
6: Pick a winner. Tough no. to pick a winner from that well, one. Well, here's... here's Vockenbruggel team Moncho, yeah. who
1: have eschewed the VLN because of the machinations over the slowing down the GT cars, uh, with Yuki uh, Krumbach, Daniel Kelvitz, Hendrik Stil, and George Weiss, Right, so that's a semi-pro, and uh, two semi-pros, and I'm and a pro. Daniel Kelvitz, the the pro in there. They're, They're a very two good cars, team. John.
6: Yeah, I know Have they a are look underneath that, yeah. there's another there's another Vorken Spiegel team on show Ferrari. With Oliver Kynes, Nico Menzel, David Perrell yeah. and Leonard Weiss. So there's two good cars, both in the AM categ- the A6 Pro category, sorry. Got it gotta mention as to split race, I think you've just done that. Yeah. Um which throws out a lot of variables tactically. And this place can throw up really odd winners. Back in 16, it was won by the V8 Racing Renault Arisa 1. Um, and there was a little bit of... Which had... Did that not have... Uh... Uh, Nick, it certainly had Nicky Pastorelli at the moment. Yes, list. that's right. Um, yeah. So this place is known for motorcycle racing. And when you get the opportunity to drive round it, Mr. H, you will see why. Um, uh, but to I've, capture I've, the... I've clocked up many hours. Oh, on the same, have you?
1: On, uh, on Very, motorsport. very
6: narrow in parts, but it's also it's sweeping, it's undulating, it's very fast. That's much faster straight, than it looks. It's very, very fast. Tom Onslow Cole is in yeah, the SPS Automotive Performance Mercedes or the AMG GT3, should I say. Hey, we've got a, a, we've got a Daytona 24 hour and Sebring 12 hour. Double Daytona winner. Double Daytona winner and a Sebring class winner in Rick breuters out yeah. in the um, car collection the only Audi. time
1: he hasn't won a race when he's been in america is when he raced against me at quarter and of course
6: he was a dubai winner as well yeah he's had a
1: good year so far he's,
6: he's becoming the superstar we thought he was going to be he's proving us to be and to be right we signed saw... up for wrt actually funny uh, enough, uh, yes he has yeah, yeah i saw that yes i saw that um TCR is going to be... uh, TCR's got a decent entry, hasn't it? 13 cars. Yeah. 13 cars. Double figures. And once again, not just about the numbers, it's about the quality as well. And again, pick a a winner from that lot. Impossible. Can't do it. No. Can't Uh, do it.
1: Volkswagen,
6: Golf, Cupra... Monlau competition in there as well. Very it's interesting, Hall. yeah. Very St- interesting driver lineup, and that's Stewie Hall, Chris Kemp, David Tin, and Tom Black. Now these guys have been teamed together. However, they used, I think it was Tom Black's Aston Correct. GT4. Uh, they're out in the Monlau competition Cupra. Um, yeah. Now Monlau competition know how to win races. Oh, do they They're ever. very, very strong. That's the uh, university team there behind that car. So those guys obviously uh, brokering a deal to uh, to run with that team. That's going to be very interesting. Um, Let's uh, racing the Volkswagen GT,
5: yeah.
6: uh, GDI from Sweden, another very very strong entry. And you know what? It's just looking down that the year three class. Great to see the Synchro Motorsport boys bringing out the FK8 Civic again. Only two drivers uh, down to drive that: Alan James and Daniel Wheeler. Um, they're missing. Who else used to be in that car? Well, they've had Matt Neal in that car with them, and they've also yeah. had Martin Bayford. So it'll be remain to be seen if the uh, if they do add a third driver, it's going to be a big ask for Alan and, and Dan uh, to uh, to do the 12 hours the, uh, between the two of them. Yes, absolutely. But it's Tuscany in the spring.
1: Yeah, 16 degrees Celsius. It's, it's looking good. It's going to be
6: beautiful weather there. We've, do we uh,
1: worry about the championship at this stage of the
6: season, no, George? Are we no. just getting amongst it? No, you've just got to you just got to give it your best shot. You've got to race over 12 hours. Um, Bohemia Energy Racing with Scuderia Praha.
1: Um, are back as well with their Ferrari, and uh, they're owed a bit of a uh, a result here because they didn't have any luck at all. I seem to remember the last time they were here. Um, but I, I've just noticed that it's uh, Josef Kral, Matteo Miler, and Yuri Pichurik behind that. Just the three Usual drivers, three. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's yeah. all Usual right. Uh, and Edexport as well. So it's looking good. Check the schedule for details. There is a time change in Europe on Saturday night. So make sure That's that you afterwards. check.
6: Yeah, it's not going to affect this race. Oh,
1: yes, of course. Good point. Saturday race.
6: Yeah, Saturday Friday, race. Good point. Friday, Saturday race.
1: So check check the uh, the schedule at the bottom of RadioLamond.com for that. It's it's me and Nick, Joe and Johnny, maybe, um, if we let him go. But possibly, possibly not.
2: Tim. Uh, just to say, we haven't proved that we're live yet tonight. So uh, it's 2-0. Excellent. To the away team. That uh, being uh, Audax Italiano, who are uh, facing Palestino. Of course they are. In the Chilean Primera division. Second half just kicked off. You're very good at finding these obscure football. Uh, and tomorrow night, uh, here on RadioLemon.com, we have the first of two specials from uh, the Online Racing Association. Actually, not two specials. One special, which is on Friday at 8, uh, and the regular tour Radio show, is tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on RS1.
8: Well,
1: it's that time on Midweek Motorsport when we need to have a little bit of a catch-up with what's going on in the Antipodes, and who better to have on the show to do that than our very own Richard Krill. Hello, Crillsy.
9: Hello, mate. How are you?
1: I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, Let's talk about um, Virgin Australia supercars first of all. Centre of gravity to come. First couple of rounds of the season, plenty of racing going on, and it took somebody driving in to Scotty McLaughlin on the (laughs) warm-up lap to stop him winning all of the first six races.
9: Yeah, it did. Uh, And and as much as teams in the opposition camp will argue that the Ford Mustang may have had an advantage, and it may or may not have, uh, what we've witnessed in the opening six races, two rounds, is a driver on top of his game. Scott's driving at the peak of his very considerable powers. He's in a team that are at the top of their game. He's got an engineer that is completely and utterly switched on. And for the first time, probably at at the very least since he joined the Penske organization a couple of years ago, he's driving without any pressure because he won the championship last year. So that weight of responsibility that was placed on his shoulders has lifted. So as a result, he's racing freely and just going about his business. And in over one lap, he is absolutely unstoppable. And now over a race distance as well, he is unbeatable. So the Mustang, yes, he's been very, very good. And it's reinvigorated teams that struggled last year in the aging Falcon. Um, Scott's teammate is included in that little package. But Scott on his own has just dominated in a way that few people have dominated supercars for many years. So it's been pretty inspiring to watch and, and just see how he goes about his business while Others, for varying reasons, have been struggling at their work so far. Uh,
1: have you ever seen anything like that before in any form of motor racing, where the front row was missing because they ran into each <laughs> other on the out? Like for those that didn't uh, catch up with it, um, Grand Prix weekends uh, in Australia, Formula One weekends. Uh, McLaughlin goes off to warm his tyres up, out of the pits, a very interesting pit lane, which I thought worked very well, actually, um, and he gets, he gets banged up by the guy who was supposed to be on the front row with him.
9: Yeah. And, and for, for background briefly, those, those races, the, the Grand Prix, there are four races, two twelve 12 lap races, and it's a 5.3 K circuit, so over three miles. It's quite a long lap. Second longest lap on the calendar now. Um, so in the 25 lap race, and that was held on late Saturday evening and about started about 6.30 PM in the twilight. It's a the brilliant rate. spectacle being there live and watching on telly. Um, but they're they're right on the edge of what they can use on a tank of fuel to get to the end of that race. So it's, it's not a pit stop race for fuel. They put two tyres on, but that's it. But they're just slightly marginal for, for a full fuel load over 25 laps. So on the outlap, teams do their own thing. So when they're going from pit lane to the grid, to set the grid, before they go off on the formation lap and then start, the teams do their own thing with managing their fuel economy. Some go quicker than others some wobble around quite slowly and you don't need to maintain your position mm. from how you left the lane on that formation lap to grid up just to, to get on the grid before all the pre-event pageantry starts. And then you go off and start motor racing. So what happened was Scotty was doing his own thing. Cam Waters was doing his own thing in the monster Mustang. Um, Cam zigged, Scott zagged one was going quicker than the other. And, um, Th- they they met in the middle, basically, and and damaged both cars bad enough, so they didn't start. So it was like an early Christmas down at Brad Jones Racing because their cars had qualified third and fourth for yep. that race and all of a sudden were elevated to an impromptu front row and did a, a terrific job. So strange scenario. I wasn't actually working that race. So uh, Chad Nalon, who works with us on the Bathurst 12-hour mm. coverage, and I decided to go and actually be a spectator for once in our lives and watch... A supercars race from the side of the track with a, a cool refreshing beverage of the event sponsor. So excellent. Uh, we found we found a spot near turn fifteen, that final complex. Great spot to watch. And the cars came around on the formation level. I'm like, uh, where's where's Scotty? Where's Cam? And then the penny dropped, and then the PA announcers worked out what was going on as well. Strange, strange scenario. Very Turned nice. it into a really good race. It was a cracking motor race, and Scotty would have disappeared into the distance had he not been. Uh, KO'd. But yeah, strange scenario, but that's the way it works sometimes. We've got a very odd situation,
1: Creelsea, that already this early on in the championship, there are two of the major contenders in Scott McLaughlin, obviously defending champion, and Shane Van Gisbergen, probably one of his biggest contenders, who've got a big fat zero next to the name, because also that weekend, an engine issue, which is so unusual. I, I can't yes. remember the last time we were talking about an engine issue in, in Virgin Australia supercars. I mean, we still expect those two guys to be battling come the time we're getting close to Newcastle at the end of the season. But I mean, does that slightly open the door for one or two others to, to slide in with the Championship hope?
9: Well, the, the irony of Scott DNFing that race is that he DNFed the fifth race of the season, but still led the points after it. <laughs> that was how dominant he'd been across the, winning the first four straight races. So he had enough of a margin that he still led the championship regardless. And then he won the last race and built on that. Um, Shane had an absolute shocker at the Grand Prix, and that's really hurt him. Um, I think Jamie Winkup's been fired up this year. Um, And we'll we'll touch on the centre of gravity stuff at the moment. But one of the other big rule changes they've made in the off season is banning multiple spring dampers. So teams would stack springs on the same damper in each corner of the car. So you had a different spring rate for corner entry, mid-corner, corner corner exit. Very technical stuff. Did nothing to improve the show. Triple eight were clearly the most advanced in that line of development. Um, being the local agents for sacks shock absorbers probably helped the cause a little bit, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, so that ban has certainly brought the Red Bull cars back to the pack a little bit. Um, but Jamie, I think Jamie Winkup, seven time champion, one of the greats. I think he was really irritated last year in not being in that championship fight between McLaughlin and his own teammate, Shane Van Gisbergen. So he's been really good just to curing points, racking them up every race with consistency. Hasn't had the outright pace to win, but, seconds and thirds are where you build your championship early on. Great. So that that's the thing with Triple Eight, though, is that if Shane drops, Jamie's right there to pick up the pieces. So they've got two such strong cars and two champion drivers that they're always going to be in the mix. And um, who knows, going to Tassie, which is the next round, which was a track where they absolutely dominated uh, last year, then you know it, it could swing the momentum a little bit towards... Uh, their their championship campaign early in the piece as it is
1: as it is yes I I I don't want to dwell too long because there's other things I want to talk about with you I don't want to dwell too long in this centre of gravity thing um the first thing I'll say is in clean air at the at the Grand Prix there was little or no difference between the Mustang a well driven Mustang and a well driven Commodore it was a point that was made a couple of times in the the commentary and I went back and looked at some of the the stats and they were absolutely right Um, but that there has been this ongoing discussion shall we say since the new Commodore came out last year um, with Mm. lighter weight panels not necessarily steel in the roof and some of the areas above the centre line of the car about how the cars are balanced for this centre of gravity now as such I don't think there's an actual rule about centre of gravity parity in uh, Virgin Australian supercars, but parity is the name of the game. And by the time they get to Tassie, there'll be a little bit of a change of where the ballast is being put in the cars is basically what
9: it comes down to. Am I reading that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bang on. Um, And basically after the Grand Prix, they took all three competing brands and the Nissan, the Holden and the Ford to a Melbourne race team workshop and they performed center of gravity test and it's the first time it's been done in the championship um and they found that that both and to be fair the Holden was found to be out as well mm. um that both the Holden and the new Mustang needed an adjustment so we should emphasize that uh for regular listeners of the show will understand supercars works but if you're new to it the, it's not a balance of performance category it's a technical parity category so very good distinction everything, so yeah so that what that means is that under the skin everything is the same in every car different engine manufacturers sure uh even slightly different architectures but there's even a a horsepower per rev uh segment i guess in the rev range that is part of the parity test so that the engines produce identical power and torque up through the the power curve um and aerodynamic parity is part of that so rather than adjusting revs or weight or ride height like they do in GT3 racing, for example, or LMGTE um, in supercars, the cars are supposed to be as technically identical as possible. And then it's up to the teams to do the job yeah. to engineer that little bit of extra into it via setup or via a gun driver like a McLaughlin or a up. So that's the change. And there was, as it always happens in a parity formula where everyone's supposed to have the same gear, Uh, when someone feels like they don't have the same gear, they'll complain. And as such, the series has gone to work to get to the bottom of it. To to the full credit of Supercars, I think they jumped on it very, very quickly. They were very proactive. Um, Adrian Burgess, former McLaren Formula One sporting director, and he's been down here for a long time, uh, is their new technical chief at Supercars, and he's led this process from the outset. They've been quite transparent about it, I think. They issued a lengthy statement Um, not too long ago, actually, just detailing the whole process and the rationale behind it, which I thought was really good. And possibly a couple of years ago, they might not have gone into that depth. They might have just gone, "Okay, we've made this change. Yeah, I was going to say
1: that. I I like the transparency. You've heard me talk on this show before about when we talk to various series, IMSA being the standout, the technical guys Mm. step forward and say, we've made these changes. This is why we've made these changes. And this is what we're trying to achieve. And and if you want to see yeah. the working out, we're quite happy to show you that as well. And yeah. and, and I think that, I think that's mega. So that's that's all going to be in place for Tasmania. We'll see whether it makes a difference or or not. It will make a difference. Will it make a difference to the racing? I don't know. It hasn't been that bad already. No, to be honest, no, I'm looking
9: forward to Tassie. It, but here's here's what here's what's going to happen. I can predict it for you now a week out. We'll go to Tasmania, which is a track where. Red Bull and Racing team have dominated for the last decade. They are not unbeatable, but close to it. They'll go out and win like they do every year. There, and then the four teams will go. Oh well, we've been novel too much. We've been brought far too far back today. That. But that's but that just is, give us It's some, just cliche. It,
1: it, it just gives <laughs> us something to talk about the next time I talk to you. Anyway, uh, right? Let's let's move on because there there is uh, a significant piece of paper that came out this week. I say a piece of paper. Obviously, it, it's t- uh, it's electronically. Uh, produced but if you were to print it out it'd be a, several pieces of paper and that is the Bathurst uh, six hours the high-tech oils Bathurst six hour entry list has come out this week for the main event and for the support categories with uh, what 240 cars or something
9: uh, on the uh, across 241 <laughs> yeah. across five the five support categories so there's some great stuff Actually, one of the the most amusing moments I've had in covering motorsport and having an international audience tuning into a stream was a couple of years ago when we had an improved production race uh, at the Bathurst Six Hour, and it was on the live stream. And there's this mix of old Falcons, new Falcons, Commodores, but Honda Civics, all sorts of crazy stuff being driven at Warp 9 above and beyond. And just the mostly international audience going what what is what is this and why and can we please have some more? Can we have more? Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So it's um yeah it, look, it's a great event. Um the the Bathurst six hour, which uh, you were fortunate enough to come to last year, and, and I think we thoroughly enjoyed what was a really really good classic motor race, uh, as they always are at Mount Panorama. Um that's sort of the the hallmark and that's that's the key part of the weekend. But it really is a, a three day festival oh, of mega. cool motorsport with with all sorts of different cars. Actually, there's a category you'll particularly enjoy running this year, Mr. Hindoff, that is the Heritage Touring Cars, which are the Can't genuine wait. Group A and Group C articles from the 70s through the 80s. So Can't that's going to be... Uh, particularly fun. Mm. Sierra RS500s oh, yeah. oh. A genuine, genuine ex Dick Johnson Shell Sierra, which... I think if you ask Dick Johnson, he'll tell you it was the fastest Sierra in the world in Group A racing at the time. So, anyway, uh, yeah, it's going to be good fun. Massive field of improved production, 55 cars there, uh, 55 Hyundai XLs, <laughs> which I think were the star of last year. Uh, I think we can all agree. And I, I, uh, I am gutted good good I, uh, I couldn't get a drive. Good that I couldn't get a drive in the genuine team name, Chubby Wombat Racing. Yeah. Weren't you close to a deal with those guys? What, what's going on? There's
1: a story there that I'll tell you for another time. It's not for on, it's not for on air. <laughs> that <laughs> will uh, be over when, uh,
9: when you arrive.
1: Down at Jack Duggan's, no doubt. Um, The, yes. the 55 in the main race, I mean, the, the, as you say, the support categories are great. They'll be on the stream as well over, over the weekend. I can't wait to get down there, uh, coming straight out from... Long Beach, as it will be. Uh, the right. big, the big race starts at half past eleven on Sunday, the twenty-first of April. Now that's easy to remember because that's Easter Sunday. Okay, uh, so XLS Heritage Touring Cars, Improved Production, and Production Sports. Uh, all of that coming in as well are on Sunday morning, and we'll have some coverage of the uh, some audio coverage for you of the early sessions as well. But fifty-five cars, cruelty for the the Bathurst. Uh, the high-tech oils, is six hours. An awful lot of regulars coming back, but is there anybody we should be looking out for on that uh, uh, on the on the six-hour list?
9: It's a pretty diverse group, to be honest, and the, I think the, the defending champions, the, the brothers, Sharon from Queensland, Grant and Ian, who won it so brilliantly last year, came from behind twice um, and managed to get into the lead in the final 20 minutes. They, they go in as favourites. They went on to win the production car championship last year as well in their BMW M4, so they had a really good season. I think the team to watch was the car that was on pole position last year and it was on pole by 1.8 seconds just casually, which is the BMW M3 of Berwick Linton and Tim Lay, Orange's finest, little town not too far away from Bathurst. Um, that was just an extraordinary lap in qualifying. And you're never robbed at Bathurst because that place will take as it sees fit. If it doesn't deem you worthy of winning a race, you won't win it. But – uh, they had a, a such a good run going. And again, they led the race on multiple occasions, comfortably had the fastest car, ultimately had a wheel fall off, and then the thing cooked itself, had an ECU failure and all kinds of dramas and and stopped with inside of the checkered flag. Um, they're probably favourites for mine with a year's worth of development under their belts on that car, which at the time was brand new, um, and they'll go into it. But there's the usual mix of, of Mitsubishi Lancer or Evos, which are the workhorse of, The Bath is six-hour. They rock up every year. They're always fast. Um, One car, well, actually two cars, I will be watching really interestingly. They're in one of the classes. They're not outright, but they're, for the first time, a pair of Hyundai i30 Ns, the Hyundai Golf GDI killer, the hot hatch, and um, they have had one race meeting under their belt. They were very, very good there. I think they'll be suited to Mount Panorama, and they won't win the race outright, but They're the kind of car that, at the end of the day, could pop into the top 10 and uh, not only win their class, but get a really strong outright result. So there's stories like that that make the six-hour so compelling uh, to tell that story over the duration of the motor race.
1: Uh, And I can't wait for it, Creelty. I can't wait. If anybody isn't aware of it, it's over the Easter weekend, uh, and there will be... Uh, streaming on the sunday krillzy and i will be getting excited about all kinds of things uh before that along with a cast of thousands because that's the other great thing um we get to share the comms box with some of the specialist commentators on that Krilsey, um are you doubt down- you're off to t- tassie obviously for for
9: supercars yeah big couple of weeks so supercars back to back actually so tasmania next weekend april four five i think it is and then uh, straight up to the Phillip Island Grand Prix second, another favourite track of yours uh, the week after that for, for a back-to-back round. So it's a busy time of year for supercars and we're going to learn a lot about the championship in, in a fortnight. I think we'll have a really clear picture of who's where in a very short space of time.
1: And we'll speak to you after that to see how the championship's shaking out. Thanks, Creelsey. Have a good day, mate. Anytime. Thanks, mate. And that, Tim, is about all we've got time for.
2: It is indeed.
1: Full coverage from Creventig at the weekend. Uh, Johnny Palmer, Joe Bradley, Nick Damon and myself off to Mugello. Join us for that. The full details on the homepage at radio-show.co.uk. And remember, the clock's change this weekend in Europe, so do look at that schedule. But there's no time to explain. The Lama's gone to buy a new watch.